Imagine being in a storm at sea, barely making it to shore on a plank, graciously volunteering to gather some firewood so the rest of your shipwreck crew could be warmed. And when you go to pick up a load of sticks, it turns out to be a poisonous snake that sinks its fangs into your hand. Talk about a bad string. Let's join our study leader, Dave Wordson, and find out some answers when our life circumstances are just not adding up. You can go to Harvard, and they really mess Paul up there many times, but they study Paul there. You can go anywhere in this great big world, in any major Western university, and you'll study the writings of this man. But what I want you to realize is that he didn't walk through crowds in beautiful flowing red robes and have everybody kiss his feet in his ring and get holy water thrown on him, whatever it might be. Instead, he was a humble servant who would be the first one to start gathering sticks. That's the incredible thing about God's family. In God's family, the great ones gather sticks. And I want all of us to pray for one another. If you ever get to the place that you can't gather sticks anymore, you're walking far away from godliness, far away from Christ's likeness. And so Paul, when he gathered sticks, forever sanctified the spongers, not the spongers, but those who sponge off tables at church suppers, who bring the meals, who take the time to clean up, everybody's pitching in and doing it with a joyous spirit, reminding one another, hey, we're following in the footsteps of a great saint when what a privilege it is to be able to gather sticks for the sake of one another. That didn't cost anything. Let's go on. What's really unbelievable about this, if ever you would think, if I was a saint like Paul gathering sticks, I would be saying, you know, I can do this kind thing for people. I am helping people. And God's going to look down with favor upon it when suddenly he throws a bundle on the fire, the heat causes a viper to come back to life. It says in verse 3 that a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. He got snake bit. I mean, I've never had that happen, sponging tables, but I mean, that would really kill you. Here you're being gracious and kind and involved and helping out on the camp out, and then you get snake bit. Now, if I were Paul, about this time, I'd throw up my hands in exasperation and say, God, what in the world are you doing? I mean, we've come through courts. We've come through storms. I landed safely on the beach. We just started warming by the fire. And now I've got a poisonous viper hanging on my hand. Now, some of you this morning might really be discouraged and might feel that everything is turning against you. And there are heavy burdens that we face. Well, picture in your mind... The Apostle Paul with a venomous, poisonous snake right there hanging the thing over the fire. Now, whenever something bad like that happens, you always have some super associates and friends that are around you that make this kind of an evaluation. Look what it says. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hands, they said to each other, great words of kindness for this dear person that just got snake bit. This man must have been a murderer. They saw that he was a prisoner. This man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Now that is really comforting. I mean, just when you get snake bit, the people around you say, you deserved it. Ha ha! 
You thought you could escape from the sea. But see, justice has been done. And in a mysterious way, the snake has come out of the fire and has taken the judgment. And you are going to be dead because you're a murderer. Now, how many think that's comforting? Now, how many of you think that you ever would have that kind of an attitude? Oh, no, no, no. I want to warn it to the church family. You know the theology that says if something bad happens to somebody, it's because they deserved it. It's a very strong viewpoint among religionists of every sort, including born-again believers. In fact, you know, I know some people that would say that the reason that John died is because it was the judgment of God. In fact, I know somebody very specifically who has a real axe to grind that couldn't even come to the funeral that would say that it was the justice hand of God. All I want to say to you before you make those kind of evaluations, be careful. Because, you know, one day the apostles with the Lord Jesus met a man who was born blind. And it was a very common theology in the first century to say, blessing equals God's approval, cursing equals God's judgment. And so the disciples came to Jesus and said, was this man born blind because of his own sin or because of the sin of his parents? They're really kind guys. Is this guy blind because he sinned or because his parents sinned? Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, it wasn't either one of them. But this man is blind for the glory of God. The disciples could have never, never guessed that the man was blind so that the disciples and so that all the people could see the very Messiah give sight to a blind man that was born blind. You see, God's plan was so big, the disciples could have never figured it out. There was a terrible tragedy in the, in the first century world. There was a wall that caved in and several thousand Israelites were killed. And a lot of people were saying, well, that it happened because those people were wicked. And Jesus said, don't think those that died in this crisis were any wickeder than anybody else. And Jesus said that you're all in need of repentance. We're all need, in need of the grace of God. And Jesus forever warned us against trying to trace the judicial hand of God. You know, that's very comforting, and it's also a great warning. You see, whenever you're facing bad circumstances, there are some Bible teachers, supposedly, that are trying to tell you that the way you can be confident that you're under the blessing of God and that you're under the approval of God is that all kinds of good things are going to happen in your life. You know, we could all sing together, something good is going to happen today. I've never heard a believer say something horrible is going to happen. But you know, the truth of the matter is, as long as you live in this earth, you're going to have, you know what Ecclesiastes tells us? You're going to have something good is going to happen. But you know what you're going to sing much more? Something horrible is going to happen because we're in a cursed world. You can't straighten out what God has twisted. You see, Jesus has won the victory, but not yet do we see all things subjected to Christ. And if you think that isn't so, if you're going to buy a theology that says something good is going to happen every day, 
because God is on your side, then you're going to walk right away from the Apostle Paul. Because the Apostle Paul lived in one terrible problem after another. And praise God he did. You know why he faced much of that problem? Because he was right on target with the will of God. And Satan hated him. Do you think that Satan wanted Paul to testify in Rome? Do you think that Satan wanted the great apostle Paul to be able to stand up and give the gospel of Jesus Christ to Nero? No. That's why there was the horrible lying in the courts. That's why the prince of the power of the air demolished the ship with a storm. That's why the snake, reminding us once again, Jesus earlier in Luke said, I saw even the scorpions and the snakes under the control of the Lord Jesus ultimately, but yet he attributes it earlier in the Gospel of Luke to satanic attack. What we need to understand is that in this spiritual side of things, we are in a tremendous warfare. And it's very hard to figure out exactly what's happening in that warfare. But one thing we need to understand very clearly is the fact that Paul was snake bit, the fact that there was bad circumstances, did not mean he was a murderer. And if you try to read the will of God, instead of reading it by revelation, by reading God's word and opening your heart to it, if you try to read the will of God by circumstance, you'll never walk with God for long. Because circumstances don't add up. When John died, I get a telephone call. Everything is great. The doctor says it was a glorious success. He's going to be fine. A lot of you that were here that Monday night at a meeting were having praise God with us. I go home, I was sleeping like a rock. I was relaxed. 4.30, married father calls. Davey's not going to make it. He's going down quick. His blood pressure just won't, won't hang on there. And I knew on the first telephone call, that's it. You know, I called a lot of you to pray, but I could tell him, I know Mary's dad well. He doesn't call. I knew it was, all, it was probably it. And yet you pray with great anticipation. You pray with great belief, believing it can still be all right because God has the power to do that. And God can do that. Sometimes God does do that. But then Mary's father took a few steps away from John's bedside and he's talking to his next son, Frank. And Frank says, well, Dad, how's it going? And Mary says, it's not going well. In fact, Frank, he's gone. And the monitor goes straight, and John's in eternity. And my whole week, and Mary's week, and everyone else's week, and for, a whole, for years to come, we're influenced by that. That's the biggest snake bite there is. You see, death is the greatest enemy that there is in this life. And it hasn't been totally vanquished yet. Satan still has tremendous power in that. There's tremendous feelings of gloom. Some of you are wrestling with elderly parents and, and these kind of crises and terminal illnesses, whatever it might be. And there's tremendous emotions that come over us of, of anger and frustrations and why. And God says you're not going to understand it all. We're not. But he says if you look up, you'll never figure out the hand of God. But if you look up, there is a Savior there. And that's the great choice of faith. When I got the word that John died, 
my first response is, I don't want to speak again. The way I felt. I felt like, Lord, you know, you answered so many prayers that I was rejoicing in the peaceful hand of God over things. And then like a sledgehammer, zap. And you see, what made it so hard this time, we've already gone through it. I, I knew what it was like to lose a son with that family. We just walked through that scenario. That's the way you feel. And the Lord knows that's the way we feel. And what we need to realize, rather than, than saying, well, it's the judgment of God, we need to realize that we're not going to be able to understand it all. And that in this life, we're still in a cataclysmic struggle between the laws of sin and death and the powers of righteousness. And God has not given us to be able to understand it all in life under the sun. Don't join with the natives and say that because there's judgment, because there's bad circumstances, because there's snake bites, we must be out of the will of God. What I want to challenge you to realize is sometimes you're more in the will of God with a snake hanging from your hand than at any other time in your life. And what the Apostle Paul did is he shook the snake off into the fire and went right on with his business. And it tells us here the people, like they're really good friends. Look at verse 6. The people expected him to swell up suddenly or fall dead. I mean, really great friends. Here's all these natives around, and they're just watching for this guy to blow up like a balloon and then drop over dead. Now, notice how if you try to find God in circumstances, if your God is not the God of the Bible, if your God is the God of your feelings, the God of circumstances, the God of what's happening in your life, you're going to be like these natives because look what they decide after he doesn't die. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, then they changed their minds and decided now he must be a god. Now you talk about a swing of public opinion. He goes from being a condemned murderer in the electric chair under the judgment of God. Now he's God himself. Now you might laugh at these natives, but the same kind of caprice, the same kind of changeableness, the same kind of... of shallowness will characterize all of our commitments to God unless our God is the God of revelation. Unless our God is the God of the Bible. And what I want to share with you is that Jesus promised in Mark chapter 16 to say, well, why did God protect Paul? And if you look at Mark 16, God says, I will give signs that will accompany those apostles. And they will be able to be bitten by snakes they were not Kentucky snake handlers. No apostle ever went around carrying cobras in his back pockets. That's presumptuous. All the Spirit of God was saying in Mark chapter 16, it's another way of saying the gates of hell will not prevail against this testimony. And my apostles are going to go out and they're going to tell this message and I'm going to authenticate it. I'm going to prove that it's true. By the miraculous signs they will be able to do. We've gone through this again and again in the book of Acts. Dr. Luke shows us that Jesus is the great miracle worker like Moses. Just like the great Moses that brought the plagues upon Egypt. Peter is the great apostle of the first half of Acts. And Peter was able to do miraculous miracles just like his Lord. 
In the latter part of Acts, in the second half of Acts, Luke very carefully has Paul mirror image the kind of miracles that Peter could do. And the fact that Paul could shake this snake off into the fire is a great assurance to us that when we read a book like Romans, when we read a book like Ephesians, this man is a designated, certified, card-carrying apostle. Now, you might not think that's important, but it's very important. Because all you have to do is walk out into any newsstand and you'll find all kinds of religious stuff out there telling you what God is like and how He thinks and how He feels. What I want to really challenge you to do is that the only objective God that's really there is the God that's revealed to us through the writings of this precious apostle and the other apostles that the Holy Spirit certified. And the only authority that I have, the only authority that I have it's to teach you from this blessed book. And oh, I want you to, cl- to grab a hold of that. Because we live in a day where God's sheep, where the Lord's precious family is so vulnerable. I mean, we have preachers that stand up and claim they have the gift of being able to handle snakes and do great miracles. What follows from that? If I have that kind of power, then the very next thing I have to tell you is this is what God says. And you see what happens to a whole group of believers if the power starts to reside in me and what I can do and what God authenticates through me, then you're going to be trapped in in error and deceit. But instead, the Lord has set us free. And every one of you in this room just about to have the Bible in your lap. And it has the writings of the great Apostle Paul. And I want to go on record, I would not place any contemporary religious teacher anywhere in the world today on the level with the Apostle Paul. And it wasn't because Paul was so great. It's because he was authenticated by my Lord. It just makes me cringe at how lightly we take religious authority. Any Joe Blow, I mean, I don't mind so much when a gymnast thinks she's an expert on what, you know, what she's selling. Batteries, you know, I mean, what does a gymnast know about batteries? But really, I mean, who cares? I mean, you're going to buy what kind of batteries you want anyway. That doesn't really bother me too much. But it really bothers me when, when we learn theology, when we learn about God, And we make judgments about life after death without any authentication. And I want to challenge you. I don't care what you feel like. You see, we're not playing games. I mean, it's obvious. When I get plunged into life and death situations, it's obvious we're not playing games anymore. The last time I talked with John, I was in his garage talking about a philosophy of building a church, of some ideas that they could use in Rollins from the Word of God to help build a church. The next time I see him, he's dead in a coffin. Now, where did he go? Oh, I want the world to be caught to the bosom of God. But it just so happens to be that the God whose bosom we want to be drawn to has given us a name. He's given us a Savior. His name is Jesus. Do you believe it? And that Savior authenticated that through the witness of his apostles. And that's why Paul could just shake a snake off into the fire. And he could be well. The next several months, for three months, 
The Apostle Paul did miraculous healings like he did at Ephesus. In verses 7 through 10, we learn of how he healed Publius's. What a name, Publius. He healed the chief Roman governor, the chief Roman official on the island of Malta. His father had Maltese fever. The Apostle Paul, just like Peter in Acts chapter 9, just like Peter and just like the Lord, the Apostle Paul goes in and he prays. He puts his hand on Publius, his father, and he's healed. And the whole island brings their sick, and it says they were all healed. And God was once again authenticating his apostle. Now, I want to clarify, we pray in faith believing that God can heal our loved ones. The role that we play on this side of eternity is that we pray in faith believing. We can anoint with oil as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. That's a beautiful thing to do. If some of us, there might be another interpretation that it involves putting the application of medicine on the person, of applying medical help like Dr. Luke could have provided. In fact, in the Greek text, there's a little bit of question whether or not all the healings are miraculous. It's very possible that Dr. Luke was involved in some of the healing that went on because it says that they gave, they honored us. They didn't just honor Paul, they honored the entire party of believers that were traveling. What I want to understand week is that we as a church family are committed to healing. What we're not committed to is the idea that there are apostles today who have that miraculous gift of healing who are giving us further revelation. That's a totally different thing. I've seen the Lord do unbelievable things. Colleen, her deliverance is a marvelous answer to prayer. We can rejoice in that. John's dead. Does that mean Mary's father doesn't have the gift of healing? Or he's out of the will of God? Or that God didn't come through? I want to share with you. You know, God came through better than you could have ever imagined. You know, Romans 8, 28 and 29 doesn't say, For God works all things together for good, for widows and for children because he never takes fathers home. See, that's what we think is the good. That's what I think is the good. When I pray, Lord, it's good for John to be here, to take care of his family, to keep making the payments on his house, to be able to build up his medical practice because that's all that I can see. But that's not what God considers good. Romans 8, 28 and 29 says, For God works all things together for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. For those he called, those he also justified. For those he justified, those he also glorified. And he wants to make them conformed to the image of his Son. Look at that passage again. You know what God says is the good? For us to become like Christ. And I want to share with you, on this side of eternity, the whole thing was a mess. It looked totally scrambled eggs. You know, why did we go through a good surgery? Why didn't God take them there? Why did the doctor say everything was all right? Why didn't he die in this surgery? You know, why didn't God do this and do this and do this? There's no answer to those questions. But you know the question is, did God do the good? Yes, God did the good. Because the good is for us to become like the dear Lord Jesus. And John is like the dear Lord Jesus today. And that's good. That's good in a way that I'll never understand. You know what faith says? One of the most comforting things that Mary's dad received was from Joshua. 
See, Joshua likes to talk, and I won't tell you where he likes to talk, but you can guess probably where he likes to talk. And Joshua really wanted another baby brother for Christmas. And that might seem like, that, that's not such a great gift for Mary and I, but you know, we feel we've done our duty in replenishing the earth and being fruitful and multiplying, but Joshua really wanted to have another baby brother. Janae just doesn't quite fill the bill. You know, she's getting too big. And so Joshua was reminiscing on, you know, you know where, and he was saying, well, I didn't get my baby. Christmas came and went, no baby. You know, Santa Claus just didn't come through. You know. So Joshua was sitting there, he said, you know, he said, I didn't get my baby, but my baby is with Jesus. Because Jesus wanted him there. And then he said this, that's just the way it is. You know, that's it. Eventually, that's what faith has to say. That's just the way it is. Just the way it is. On Truth Encounter, we are committed to helping you examine for yourself the tried and tested Word of God recorded in the Bible. In today's passage, we observe Paul's credentials as an apostle you can trust. Read his writings, Romans, Ephesians, Philippians, and the rest of his New Testament epistles, and you will discover the meaning of Christ for your life today. We pray God has used our study to help whet your appetite to feed on God's Word for yourself, and remember that bad circumstances are not necessarily proofs of God's disfavor.